Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, September 6th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work, that tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. If you click the link, um, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives when they tap into these tools and apply them in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1 on your phone, put a little icon of a hand by your phone number, I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. And we can have a conversation. And um, we greatly appreciate when everybody chooses to do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be a service, 
and that's just a whole heck of a lot easier to do when people give us feedback. Um, if you're not able to listen live and call in live or choose not to call in live, you can send me an email at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org and or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. If we get those comments or questions or testimonials from you, we'll address them on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time it was discussed on the show, and you can listen back to the archives for the feedback. So here we are on a Wednesday Plenty of time to talk, 55 minutes, basically, of the entire show. Um, what's happening? How is this landing for you? How is the reading of the uh, um, multiple times we've reviewed each of the uh, Way of Mastery lessons? And um, at the end of last week, I was moved to, to go back and review Lesson 8 and 9 again because of the... Uh, the potential for resonance, the way it resonated with me to read questions from the um, Walk in the Physical book by Christian Sundberg and how the statement in that book about how we are completely responsible for our interpretations of and responses to the life events that flow in, through, as, and around us and that just brought to mind so clearly the message from uh, the Way of Mastery, Lessons 8 and 9, that I began that review. And barring anybody putting up a, a hand this afternoon, uh, I guess it's still morning here where I am, I will go back to uh, the review of Lesson 9, in the way of mastery, again prompted by our reading of the book A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg and the discussions we're having around that, some of them in depth and the section on questions about punishment after death and eternal punishment and hell and things like that one of those comments in the answer led me to think about Lesson 8 in the Way of Mastery, where it says, every time we think a thought, it's like dropping a pebble into the pool of our awareness, and it creates a ripple. It's a, it's a creative experience. It's a creative process when we choose a thought, when we value one thought over another. And the thoughts we choose over and over again and pour value into literally create our experience of life in the moment and line us up for the future. And what we're talking about here in Lesson 9 is the invitation to look with innocence on what you value. Where have you drawn the line? Where have you said, I will allow neutrality to all events in this sphere, but not that sphere? And it asks us to look well to see where we've placed a value and where we've insisted that that value be unshakable because when we do, when we value anything above anything else and we pour our mind energy into it, then we create fear. We create 
division. We create an experience of division. And the last bit we were reading asks, what will you create in each moment? What will you choose to focus your conscious awareness upon and choose to place value upon? Because nothing can be said to exist for you until you had the lived experience of it. So, to pick up where we left off, in Lesson 9, the text reads, we would perceive the people without body, the people in non-physical existence, awareness, we would perceive that there are many in your world that like to walk around as if they are in a state of peace with smiles upon their faces. Perhaps they carry the Holy Bible in their hand or some other such text. Or they wear some religious icon upon their body so as to create an appearance of one who is at peace. And yet inwardly they are not at peace. When they turn on their television and they watch how the logger has felled yet another tree, inwardly they respond by calling that logger ignorant or stupid or limited. In that moment, they have spoken to the universe that they are choosing to live, the truth they're choosing to live. I want to back up and remind us that in Lesson 9 it says, your body is the crystallization of energies out of a field of infinite energy. And it has only one purpose. That body as a purpose is to be used as a communication device. You are always communicating to the world and everyone around you about what you value. It says, so therefore, let your primary perception, let your primary guiding light in this third dimensional experience be this, quote, what do I choose to communicate to the world with every gesture, with every breath, with every word spoken, and with every decision made, close quotes. So here we are a few pages later, and they come back to that, and they say, in the moment when somebody's watching the television, and they see a news story about someone who holds an opposite opinion of them, and they think that person is ignorant or stupid or limited, in that moment... They are communicating to the universe the truth that they are choosing to live. Here's a summary statement about what I'm choosing to live in that moment that I get angry and I judge someone else. Quote, I am not one who wants to know what peace is. I am not one interested in forgiveness. And in this work, forgiveness means dismantling my judgments and perceptions especially when they lead me to a negative emotion. I am not one interested in wisdom. I am interested in judgment. I'm interested in the high that I feel in my body through the act of judging another being as being less than myself. That's what I communicate when I judge. Earlier in Lesson 3, this book says, if you understood what happens 
when you judge, you would never judge again. The very cellular structure in your body ceases to work. Nutrients aren't getting to where they need to be. The cells shut down. It's just like the work of Bruce Lipton, who who knows that when we're in a fight or flight or fear state or stress response, our cells don't function properly. They go into shutdown and defense mode, and they don't eliminate waste, and they don't take in nutrients, and they don't repair worn-out parts. That same wisdom is in this book in Lesson 3. And here, in Lesson 9, it comes back like a a fractal, and it says, when you judge another, you're saying to the universe, I don't want to know what peace is. I'm not interested in learning how to dismantle my false perceptions. I'm not interested in wisdom. I want the high I get in my body as I judge me to be right and somebody else is wrong. So lesson nine goes on and the text reads, in short, it is time to give up the pretense. It is time to begin viewing yourself from the perspective of an absolute ceaseless creator. Begin looking at exactly what you are creating in each moment of your experience. Bring the quality of childlike innocence to what you are actually experiencing, not to what you tell everybody else you're experiencing. It's time to become honest with the effects of the ripples of the rocks or the pebbles or the thoughts that you place into your field of awareness. And do it and become aware of it as a great form of play. Release the judgment even against yourself. If you've been spending days, weeks, months, years, or even decades in bitterness and hurt and judgment, wake up to the fact that you can change it and view it with childlike curiosity and innocence and play. The text goes on and says, For a creator who understands their infinite power to create and who understands that it is going on ceaselessly and that effects are being generated moment to moment to moment to moment that will indeed make up their their tomorrows, anyone in that position gladly gives up the energy of denial. They gladly release their judgment. And they turn to look upon every moment of their experience that they might discern what choice they must have made to bring about the effects that they're currently experiencing. And they'll look at that with absolute innocence, childlike innocence, neutrality, curiosity. The text goes on and says, when a bill comes and your body shakes and you go into contraction and worry because there are not enough golden coins in the checkbook to pay for it, the person who has become aware that he or she is a ceaseless creator, they stop, they look upon all that is being experienced in the field of the body and in the emotional body and at the thoughts held in the mind they begin to notice how they are viewing the objects around themselves, the world around them. And they do that in order to begin to wonder thoughts like, quote, wow, 
what thoughts must I have dropped into the pool of my mind to create the effect of lacking golden coins? And is that a thought I wish to drop into my mind so I can create similar effects for my tomorrows? Question mark. Well, here is the doorway of wisdom. The invitation is to stop creating unconsciously and then walk away. But learn ceaselessly from your creation. For in this way, you begin to pr- that 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 process of dissolving the creation that you put into place from an unenlightened perspective, and you begin to build the creation of a Christ here, now, in this moment. The next section is titled, The Power of Your Thoughts. And the text reads, never, ever before, excuse me, never, ever believe that your thoughts are neutral. I said earlier that events are neutral, and your thoughts are not. For your thoughts literally are imbued with power of creation. Listen to Michael Rice. I'd, I'd wager to say that if you listen to Michael Rice for an entire week on this Internet show, any given week at any time, at least once you'll hear him say, the opening words in the book of John, do not say in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh. A more accurate translation, understanding the colloquialisms of the time, is in the beginning was the mind energy. And the mind energy became flesh, became matter, became substance. It's the same wisdom. Your thoughts are a creative force. For your thoughts literally are imbued with the power of creation. The text goes on and says, they do not create neutrally. That is, every thought reverberates a quality of vibration that spreads out from you. It touches the shores of manifested reality and it comes back to you. That is what you experience as both the positive and the negative events of your life. Now, it is very true, please listen carefully to this, that at any moment as you go along in your experience, As you experience the reverberation, the coming back of the ripples that you have sent out, in that very moment, you are still a creator. You are not a victim of what you have created. Because in each moment, and here is, this is the reason that I read not just Lesson 8, but Lesson 9 as well. Here they are very, very clear. This is not like karma. Their, their message in this, in this set of teachings is not like karma, where you did this bad thing and now you've got to pay for it. Their lesson is you are always a creator, ceaselessly creating. So I'm going to read this paragraph again, because this is the core paragraph that makes me read 
lesson nine right after lesson eight. I never, I, I don't remember that I've ever just read lesson nine because, or lesson eight alone, because lesson nine has this part in it that comes back and says, now it's very true, please listen carefully to this, that at any moment as you go along in your experience and you start to experience the reverberations and the coming back to you of the ripples you've sent out, in that very moment you are still ceaselessly a creator. You are not a victim of what you have created. Because in each moment you remain perfectly free, just as free as you were when you first dropped that pebble of a negative thought or a trauma into the pond that same thought that created the ripple in the first place, in that moment you're free to choose how you will experience the effect of that ripple. And if you experience it with unconditional freedom, unconditional acceptance, capital L love, the process of forgiveness, which is to dismantle your negative perceptions, you experience it with neutrality and you experience it with innocence, in that moment you literally diffuse the effects of that ripple upon the pool of your consciousness. And then in that moment you become instantly free to begin creating in a new way and create the ripples that you will choose in a positive sense to experience in the future. And that is why you are never a victim of anyone's creation, especially your own. It is not that life is so complex and that you have created all these momentums and now you're stuck with them. That's not the way this works. In any moment that you wake up, that you get it, that you see clearly that you are a ceaseless creator in each moment, you can stop reacting as if you were a victim. And you can look merely at the ripples that are coming back to you that you have sent out away from yourself as they come back to you and you can say, quote, this has come into my field of experience as an awesome mystery. This means that I am an awesomely powerful being. Therefore, I will look lovingly on this ripple. Yes, I know it needs to play itself out, and as it does so, I'm going to be wise enough to see the transparency of it, to see the lack of effect that it really, truly has. It does not change who I am. It doesn't add anything of value to my life. It doesn't take anything of value from my life. It's merely an experience called life passing through the field of my awareness. And if I choose to look lovingly upon it, if I choose to embrace it, I can transmute it and therefore already be engaged in the process of creating a whole different kind of vibrational ripple that will create my experience of my tomorrows. That means that while the power of your thoughts is not neutral, the events called effects of those thoughts can either be neutral or not neutral, depending upon how you use your very primary power of awareness. We are seeking to share with you how infinitely free you are. There are many in your world 
that teach this illusory doctrine of what is called karma. The idea that what you send out in this moment now, you must experience sooner or later. And how you experience it is directly related to the quality of the ripple you send out. We would like to propose for your own observation that this is not true because that would make you a victim. If you are made in the image of your creator, and I assure you that you are, you are not a victim. And you are not a victim of the world you see. You cannot, in reality, be victimized by anyone or anything at any time because your reality is that you were made in the image of your creator. If you could truly be victimized, that would mean that the creator creates unlike herself. So think about it. Does a salmon come from an oak tree? Does a nebula come out of the womb of a woman? Does a raspberry grow on the grocery store shelf? No. Like begets like. Therefore, why would you ever believe that your creator, who is but love and unlimited creativity and power, could ever beget something that is small and little and powerless? It does not happen. The creator cannot be victimized and therefore the Creator's creation remains victimless. All events remain neutral. And all that the environmentalists and the logger are doing is using the power of consciousness to momentarily create the belief that they are this and not that. They place a value of their own choosing upon an event of energy that they call a tree. And by what value they place upon it, they call the quality of experience they will have into their field of awareness. And that is all that is happening. The energy that makes up the tree is eternal forever. It may change form, and yet life remains. Therefore, lament not the passing away of a species, but trust the grand intelligence, capital G, capital I, the grand intelligence that gave rise to it in the first place. For that intelligence is still busy creating even greater universes. This is why loss does not exist. How, of, how does all of this relate to your daily experience? As we move into the lessons that follow, it's going to become very crucial that you have a foundation upon which to build. So here comes an exercise, five minutes a day, to form the foundation of what is coming in the future lessons. If you are ready to completely assume responsibility for having been created in the image of your Creator, and that therefore you are an eternal creator. If that's the case, begin now to utilize some time in each day without letting a day go by in which you sit with yourself. Not with your mate, not with your parents, not with the television, not with your favorite sport team, not with your favorite actor or actress, not with your favorite religion, 
not with your favorite God or master or savior, not even Yeshua. Sit with you. Start by acknowledging that you are one with your creator. Understand that the very body that seems to have a heart within it beating life for you is the effect of decisions and choices you have made. Understand that the very chair that you're sitting on is the result of your attracting a web of relationships that is quite unique into your field of awareness called the physical universe. In this moment, you are having an experience you have never had before. You're sitting in that chair now. The event is completely neutral. And nothing that you are experiencing in your consciousness exists or is sourced by anything outside of yourself. So give yourself five minutes to practice choosing how you will experience sitting in a chair. Will you do so with a mind full of worry or a mind full of peace? Will you do so with a mind thinking of all the things it could be doing or a mind marveling at how the weight of the body feels pressed against the seat of the chair? Will you do it with a mind that creates tension in the way the breath flows through the body or a mind that creates ease and comfort? You get to choose. Five minutes of practicing sitting in a chair as an infinite creator of exactly what you are experiencing in your emotional field. Just that and nothing more. You might even want to play with what it would feel like to sit in your chair as a Christ. What would that feel like? I will let you choose whether or not you would like to experience it. Five minutes each day. Do it without fail be with yourself and decide how you will experience yourself now for you see the you that sits down in the chair with whatever is going on in your consciousness whatever feelings you're having throughout the body whatever is going on in your primary relationships how the food is being digested in the body all of it the whole realm of your experience. This is the effect of how you have been a million times when you've sat down to be with yourself in a thousand different chairs. So utilize the very process of sitting down in a chair as a symbol of preparing the mind for the dropping of pebbles into it, out of which will reverberate the vibrations or ripples that will come back to you. It's much easier to send out ripples and experience them when they come back in a blissful way, a way that brings you peace, joy, fun, laughter, play, and unlimitedness instead of having to constantly butt your head against something that you would rather transmute or run away from. However, it begins with these five minutes in which you acknowledge that you can create whatever experience you want as a feeling that floods through your awareness, as a quality of thought that you would allow to keep repeating in the mind. 
So this brings me back to what I was just talking about yesterday or the day before, bringing up the work from Abraham Hicks, where they talk about how the law of attraction was basically hijacked from them and transformed into this thought about attracting material wealth and relationships and and the Abraham Hicks teaching is about this very thing. Sit in the chair and feel the power that you were given to create positive feeling and sensation and bliss states, love, joy, peace, freedom in your mind, in your body's energy system, in the moment. It's much easier to send out ripples and experience them when they come back in a blissful way. Start sending out energies that you begin by feeling in your five minutes sitting in a chair practice. Energies of peace, joy, fun, laughter, play, and unlimitedness. That's essentially the same message from the Abraham Hicks teaching. And they guarantee this teaching says the same thing you will have a much better experience of the ripples that come back to you if that's what you've been sending out. So the text here goes on and says, you can sit in the chair as an awakened Christ now. And this is a a suggested set of thoughts or statements that you can repeat. I and my Father are one this beautiful day. I've manifested a physical form sitting in a chair in a corner of one little tiny dimension of creation. How amazing this moment is. I think I'll just sit here and feel the heart beating in the body and the breath flowing through it. Ah, there's the sound of a bird. I'm glad I called that to my awareness. What beautiful thoughts can I think right now? Who can I send love to without lifting a finger? I am unlimited forever. I am free, I am free, I am free. The text goes on and asks, do you think you would like to have that experience for five minutes? If so, why not begin today? So many of you upon your physical plane keep searching for some form of magic that will bring the kingdom of heaven to you. You cannot bring it to you. You can only become aware of how you are constantly using it to create the ripples that you send out from yourself. Do you know the saying in your world, wherever you go, there you are? Well, you are the creator's creation. You are in heaven now. Heaven is not a place. It is a state of unlimited and infinite creative power because it is the reflection of the Creator's holy mind. Why not be one who practices being the presence of heaven? If that seems too awesome or too far beyond you, then just play with it for five minutes a day. Trust me, I will love you no less if for the other 23 hours and 55 minutes you decide to play it pretending and feeling that you are little, that you're unworthy, that you're unloved, unloving, unlovable, and that you're the scourge of the earth 
and that life is constantly victimizing you, go right ahead. I would never interfere with your free choice. I may not come knock at your door except for those five minutes, but you remain free to utilize time in any way you wish. The invitation here is that for just five minutes, you experience yourself as Christ. Crystallizing a body is a temporary teaching and communication device, sitting in a chair in a totally neutral corner of creation, because you want to have the experience of sitting blissfully at peace in your perfect knowledge of your union with the Creator in this moment. You might even find yourself daring to have thoughts like this, quote, Well, since I'm an infinite creator, what would I like to create for my tomorrows? Close quotes. If during that five minutes there's a knock upon the door and it is the bill collector, who cares? That is that soul's experience of thinking they are a bill collector and you are some bad person that they must corral. Let them have their experience. Sit calmly. Hear the knocking on the door and allow yourself to be entertained by the beautiful worlds you are creating for your tomorrows. Here is the straight and narrow path that leads unto life, capital L, life. Here is the eye of the needle through which you must pass. For it is not enough to just embrace the idea that, quote, I am the creator of all I experience, close quotes. You must then choose to actively put it into practice. It begins with the practice of five minutes a day. That is all. When you feel that you can fulfill that for five minutes, then you can make it 10, then 12, then 15, and then 20. You may respond, quote, you mean that for 20 minutes I hang out as though I'm Christ incarnate, totally in union with God, totally free, beginning to create different ripples than I've ever experienced before, knowing that they'll come back to me and become my manifested experience? And I can know that without any doubt about it? But 20 minutes, even if I could achieve that, that's such a small fraction of the time of a day, close quotes. Beloved friends, if you had faith as a tiny, tiny, tiny little seed, you would know that from that little tiny faith, you will create the mighty oak tree whose branches will shelter you from the blistering sun and give you comfort unto many. Twenty minutes is an eternity when it comes to creating your tomorrows. If you believe that the other 23 hours must be taken up by experiencing the effects of what you've created a long time ago or the ripples that are coming back, well, then so be it. Play with it. Let yourself transmute those moments. For example, quote, Oh, here I am answering the door. Ah, yes, bill collector, come on in. Here, have a glass of water. Oh, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. I didn't pay that bill. Do you want to know why? Silly me. I've actually decided to create the experience that I'm somebody who can only create lack. That's why I have no money in my checkbook. It's just the darndest thing, isn't it? 
Oh, very good. You're going to turn my name over to the authorities, and now I'll have no credit with anybody on the planet. Well, go ahead if it makes your day. I have other things to do. I'm busy creating a new tomorrow. And I know that everything all around me is going to be taken from me anyway, so since everything that's birthed in time ends in time, my house will be gone, my car will be gone, my clothes will be gone, my friends will be gone, everything gone. Everything I've experienced in time is changing anyway, so go ahead and take it from me now. It'll just speed up the process. Close quotes. The text goes on and says, I do not speak of this tongue-in-cheek. I speak from the perspective of one who is an awakened Christ, one who already knows how to birth universes and to create that which is holy, good, and beautiful. I know that this is the way. It is the only way. Release the value you have attached to your experiences, even the bill collector, and spend your time instead deciding which pebbles you're going to drop into the field of your mind. For you will create as the result of what you choose to think today. And what you value today will show itself to you tomorrow. This text goes on and reads, I learned to value unlimitedness. I learned to value capital L love. I learned to value fearlessness. Yes, my method for doing so was rather unique, and I would not recommend that you follow in my footsteps, unless, of course, you like the drama of being nailed to a cross and then stood up in front of all your friends in order to learn that you can transcend fear in your mind. I learned to value unbroken communication with every soul in every dimension of creation. I learned to value only my loving thoughts. And I birthed, or I grew, a Christ out of the very seed of awareness that exists equally within each of you. Therefore, in this moment, look around where you are. Look at the objects that you see. Look at the people that you see around you, if there are any. Notice whatever sounds may be coming into your field of awareness. Notice whatever pictures or ideas you may hold of what you are and what the world is. These are all fleeting and temporary illusions. They will pass away. As a matter of fact, they began passing away the moment they were created. Therefore, indeed, beloved friends, look at all that is around you and decide what value that it holds for you. You will see it as something that you must have in your existence or you will see it as something that you have playfully drawn to yourself. Can you appreciate it? Because it can be gone tomorrow and your peace will not be disturbed. Which way will you view the world? 
five minutes, one for each finger and thumb on a hand, in which you choose to sit as Christ in the midst of your kingdom, your creation. And you decide which thoughts you will hold and therefore determine how you will see all that is in your field of awareness and which thoughts you will allow to begin to generate the ripples that you will send out because they will, there's no escaping it, they will return to you. And in that moment, you will once again have the ability to choose how you will interpret and respond, even those ripples. So that's all I'm going to read for today from Lesson 9. And I am having my phone buzz a few times. And I'm reading a text from Jeannie that says they will not be back in time for the show. And so the next hour will be a replay of the Y workshop, one-hour Y workshop. So we have time for questions or comments before we start the replay, if that's what anyone desires to do. 563-999-3581. What are your thoughts? What's your feedback? Call that number, press 1, and we can have a conversation. Or we can start the Y workshop that is going to be the second hour here today. I hope it's clear why I'm reading this. I hope it's making sense. I hope I specifically made the tie-in between Lesson 8 and 9. While they have similar message, I believe Lesson 9 really comes clear on this point that even though we have created what we're experiencing today, we are not victims of it. We are free in each moment to choose again, to choose a different interpretation, to see it as perfectly neutral, to view it with childlike innocence and curiosity and playfulness. And as we do... Whatever it is we're experiencing, whether it's a car accident or it's a windfall of cash or it's a relationship budding or a relationship falling apart, we're free to experience it as completely neutral and part of the play of creation in this world, that our choice of, of valuing certain energies and thoughts has actually given rise to what we're experiencing. Both the energies that come to us and how we experience them. And if that's clear, then we have a better sense of what the invitation is with this work, how the invitation is to step into that sense of creativity and personal agency moment to moment so that an entirely different range of energies is created by us and sent out from us to interact with what they call here manifest reality, and to begin to create 
our tomorrows anew today. So one last call, 563-999-3581. We have about 10 or 11 minutes left if anybody has a question or a comment. Otherwise, I will start the Why Again Workshop replay that Jeannie has asked me to play. And I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. I'll be back again tomorrow, as my grandmother would say, God willing and the creek don't rise. This is your second hour. What exists is energy in form. And relative to this integrated energy system that we call a body-mind unit, there are two qualities. There's integrative energy, that which is over on the left side of the board, and disintegrative energy, that which is over here on the right side of the board. Now, we've had the experience over the last two years. Our granddaughter came into the world just a little over two years ago. And, you know, it was this little baby, little structure. And you know something? She doesn't look like that at all today, two years later. And she doesn't look at all like she looked at, like she looked at a month or two months or three months or four months or five or six or ten or twenty. And, and what you have to conclude, if you get out of the, the dullness of incapacitated perception, what you notice is this form is a piece of plastic. It's in a state of becoming. And it becomes according to the energetic patterns in which we engage. If we engage in these things on the right side of the board, hostility and fear, grief, rage, anger, sadness, jealousy, revenge, then we're continuously putting into the cells that are storing that particular energy. And my offering is that every cell in your structure functions as a brain cell, functions to store information. And so we're literally changing the plastic nature of every cell and overall the whole structure of this thing we call a body-mind unit. And we're laying that on top of, you know, we, we can't just step in, or at least normally, I think we get to a level of power where we might be able to, but we don't just step in and, and make an instant change in a, a whole structure. Why? Over a thousand generations of that mind energy becoming flesh within each of our structures. You know, we don't have to direct its becoming, it's happening. But as we grow in awareness and choose to engage in energetic patterns, we start to direct its becoming. This side of the board, we direct it into the disease process. This side of the board, we direct it into health and wholeness and higher states of being. And if we lived on a planet where seven and a half people woke up every morning, seven and a half billion people, pardon me, woke up every morning realizing that this is who they are, how different would our creative process be? If we didn't have people playing these games, if we weren't playing these games, how different would this piece of plastic look for each of us? What would it be capable of? And as I say, when we engage in that mind energy and it lands on the cell, that mind energy, when it's of a disintegrative nature, the cell says, ouch, it informs us that the quality of our creative process is off base. But what do we do? Well, what our culture has taught most of us to do is blame somebody else for that. Have you ever said this to somebody? You made me really mad. 
you hurt me. You, you, you really have a problem. You ever said that to somebody? And the question I like to ask is, if they're the one with the problem, why are you the one with the pain? That doesn't make any sense. If they're the one with the problem, they'd be the one with the pain. But if you're in pain and you think somebody else has got a problem, you've got a problem. Now, we have a definition for the act of thinking or speaking as though something outside of you is causing what's happening inside of you. And that's called denial. So denial is the act of thinking or speaking as though something outside of us is causing something inside of us to happen. Now, something outside of us can cause something that's inside of us to move or intensify in its movement, but it can't cause that energy to be there. It has to be there in the first place. But when we live in this game of denial, you know, whenever I feel this way, I talk about them or somebody or anybody. What happens is that in order to pretend that my feelings aren't coming from the interaction of my mind energy and my cells, I have to hide that whole process from myself. I literally have to dissociate from that process. And I have to hallucinate, I have to generate a worldview, a perceptual construct that tells me that the problem is really out there. And of course, one of my favorite tongue-in-cheek lines, which many of you have heard used many times is, if you've been through it 87 different times with 42 different people, how is it that you're the only one that was there every time? Sooner or later, we have to acknowledge that we're engaged in our own lives. But if we spend our whole lives in denial, you made me mad, you made me sad, you made me angry, you hurt me, that upset me, they disturbed me, then we have a device called a mind that continuously constructs the world we see as though that was true. And what that means is that the real cause of what we're experiencing, we have to dissociate from. And if you were involved in this work back in the early days, you remember that I used to write on the board, deny, suppress. And then, and it totally changed the work when I was given this instruction. I mean, I had specific instructions that were given internally from Roka that said, Michael, no, it's not suppress. It's not merely hiding something from yourself. It's locking it away and throwing away the key. Once you're in an arena where you're in denial, you made me mad, your mad is no longer yours to change. So guess what? You now have a life sentence of mad. Anybody and everybody that will, can trigger that into activity can seem to make you mad. Why can they make you mad? Because mad is there. And if mad is there, it's an energy. And if you pushed it down a thousand times, there's a very intense high energy wave radiating out from you that says to all the world on an energetic level, hey world, is there anybody that knows how to make me mad? Have you ever noticed there's never a shortage of volunteers? Why is that? Because life abhors you being diseased. Life doesn't want you dead. So life has been structured, it seems, 
so that if you are holding to a dis-ease energy and you've dissociated from it, someone's going to show up, and that happens through the law of resonance. Someone is going to receive the energetic invitation to come to your life and do to you exactly what you never wanted to have done. And if you tell them what's wrong with them and you get rid of them and you go away and you take the geographic cure, you'll find somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. I feel so blessed the universe reserved the title of my book for me. Why is this happening to me again? Because virtually everybody in the universe has asked the question. And, you know, probably the greatest atrocity done to us as human beings down through the ages and that we've bought into is that we've had hidden from us the fact that we are by nature creators. Nobody told us that. They told us all kinds of crazy things, but they didn't tell us that through the energetic patterns we engage in, we create our own cellular health and diseases. We create everything that shows up. We literally create the way this piece of plastic called the body-mind unit unfolds and becomes either toward disease or toward health. It depends on what the predominant resonant energy is in your structure. So for people who live in this state of denial, this state where it's all everybody else's fault, they hold all of these causes within themselves, but they press those causes down, hide them from themselves, and by so doing, intensify them every time they have to press it down, and therefore send out a signal that gets even stronger and stronger and stronger. You know, imagine that I've got a, a three-foot diameter spring that sits here on the floor and it stands three feet high. Can that spring do anything sitting there on the floor? Not at all. But what happens if I push down on it and lock it? And I push down on it and lock it. And I push down on it and lock it. What happens after years of doing that? And I let the lock off. A lot of power stored in the spring. If I've been spending years and years and years telling everybody else why they're the problem in my life, I'm pushing down that energy, adding energy and information to it, and by so doing, I'm setting up a literally an attractive energy field that will resonate or pull somebody into my life to do it to me again. So when I live life that way, when that's the game that I play, the things that I most don't want to deal with are literally stored in brain cells. When I talk about building brain cells in this work, I'm not talking about building new physical structure. I'm talking about the fact that every cell in the structure is designed to store information, literally to store frequencies. So every cell can hold energetic patterns and therefore function as a brain cell. When there are certain brain cells that I don't want to deal with, things that I'm in denial about, I push those things down and hide them I intensify them, and by so doing, I set up a high-energy wave. Now, I didn't know at the time how important a piece of information this was going to be way back, and this goes back probably 35 or 36 years ago. I used to keynote at a conference called Global Science out in Colorado. And one year, a gentleman named Marcel Vogel came to the conference. Marcel uh, was a 23-year senior scientist from IBM. He was the only non-degreed scientist that IBM ever had on their payroll. 
And the reason he was non-degreed was because he was self-educated and nobody could teach him anything. At the age of 11, Marcel invented chemical light. You know, you go to a football game and they've got these light sticks and you break the glass tubes inside the plastic and the chemicals mix and they light up. Well, that was Marcel's invention. He invented that 11. His family didn't have the money. Marcel patented it himself. If your computer works, guess why? Marcel invented the magnetic coating on the plates of your hard drive that allows your hard drive to store information. That's the kind of mind that Marcel had. And what he did this particular year is he brought a thing called a Delaware camera. It was created by a man out of England named George Delaware. This camera is a little different than your average camera. Normally, you click the shutter, the aperture opens, light energy comes in, it's registered on the photographic plate, you develop it, you've got a picture. Not so with the Delaware camera. In between the aperture and the photographic plate, there's a tuning mechanism. So you can literally tune the camera, somewhat like a TV set or a radio, as to what frequencies it receives. And so what Marcel was able to do with this camera was he was able to attune it to the frequency of waves that leave the mind when we think of thought. And what Marcel was able to do was to take pictures of the high energy waves that leave the mind when we think of thought. So whatever we're holding in the way of mind energy within our structures from our own lives or from our genes, we're literally sending out a composite of frequencies continuously. And because the universe is governed by the law of resonance. Now, the law of resonance simply stated says this, when two energy systems are in tune or in harmony with each other, there's an interchange of energy between them when one system is amplified above the other. You probably remember from physics class in high school, you took a middle C tuning fork, you hit it on a desk, and you put it in front of a second middle C tuning fork. The second middle C tuning fork was not moving. But when you put the first energized tuning fork in front of it, the second tuning fork started to move. It's called resonance, transfer of information. So notice that this tuning fork is moving, and through resonance, that one starts to move. Resonance creates motion. You might think about a, uh, let's imagine you've got a baby grand piano, and you have two of them, and you open the top of the two baby grand pianos. Now, there are hundreds and hundreds of keys in each piano. But if I go over to one of those pianos, and I hit the middle C, and I go look into the second piano, there are going to be a bunch of strings vibrating in that second piano. Guess which ones? Only the ones that are keyed to middle C are going to be moving in that second piano. So resonance creates motion. Now, in the human realm, my offering is, resonance adds another piece to the puzzle. And that is, resonance creates motion toward. So, you know, I hit middle C on this piano. The other piano isn't going to get up and crawl up on top of it. It's not going to create motion toward. But in the human realm, when I set up a frequency, those who are in resonance with that frequency are going to tend to be drawn into my space. And if there's something that I have denied and dissociated from 
a thousand times and it's deeply hidden away in the darkest recesses of my mind, I don't even know it's there. But having pushed it down a thousand times, it's got a pretty powerful wave coming out of it. Now, if this person has the matching bag of garbage, if this person has the brain cells and the behaviors that match what I've denied and dissociated from, unless they are very conscious, they will tend to be directed by that energy wave. That energy wave will resonate these brain cells in them. Those brain cells will fire, constitute their, what they would call their conscious thought and behavior, and they're going to tend to do a behavior toward us. Guess what the behavior is likely going to be? Let's see if that's true. Has anybody ever gone into somebody's space totally committed to being loving, nurturing, and caring, nurturing and caring, and all of a sudden found yourself functioning like a mad banshee? What happened? Well, here's my offering. You went in totally committed to being loving and nurturing and caring, but their high-energy wave set something else in motion in you. It resonated your mad banshee. And when your mad banshee started to move, that took over your behavior, and there you were doing it to them again. That's how the why is this happening to me again principle occurs. And guess what? Even if you didn't do it, they're going to see you do it. Well, Michael, that doesn't make any sense. Oh, yeah, it does when you know how the mind operates. Because here's what's going to happen. When they do that behavior, when they bounce off of that high energy wave in you and do that behavior, they're going to resonate those very brain cells that you've denied and dissociated from. When those brain cells start to fire, they're going to create a perceptual construct that will be projected from those brain cells, and you're going to show up in their mind. Literally, they will see a body that they call you in their mind with and made up of the threads of energy of what you've denied and dissociated from. So they're going to show up in your mind with your problem with that. You're going to see that it's their problem. It's going to be really clear to you. But then notice you've been through it 87 different times with 42 different people. And you're the only one that was there every time. This is an internal process that comes about as a result of denial and dissociation. So what happens when we deny and dissociate, this is the energetic pattern that occurs. And then when those brain cells fire, and, and we live in a culture, you know, psychology tends to tell us that projection is taking something that's inside of you and putting it outside of you. That's not projection. That's externalization. Projection is when I take brain cells I've denied and dissociated from and I generate perception out of it. I generate the picture world that I see. Now, it's interesting, and of course, we've been teaching this for decades, but a couple of years ago, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago now, we came across some research that was done by the CIA. If you go to CIA.gov, you can download a book. God knows how many taxpayer dollars they spent on it. It was called The Study of Human Intelligence. And there's a, a chapter in it on perception. They're studying how perception works. And here's their bottom line conclusion. You can go to the CIA website and download this book free. What it says is, the mind does not record reality. The mind generates reality. 
this perceptual world, the world that you see is a generated world. And as a generated world, it is a construct of your mind. And until you interrupt what's at the root of the way your mind constructs the world that you see, you will tend to be stuck in this pattern of denial, dissociation, and then projection. Now, our culture tells us that we have a pair of windows that we all get to look out of and see what's going on in the world. That is probably the biggest lie you've ever been told. You do not have a set of windows that look out into the world. It's not possible. You have an antenna. It's called the eye. It's a frequency receiving device. It receives frequencies based in light energy. Light energy enters the eye and through the law of resonance, the information that comes in through the eye resonates brain cells. And brain cells generate perception, the world you see. You can't look out through this antenna. All the eye is, as the other senses are, are simply frequency receivers. They're just receivers of energy. And whatever energy you have brain cells for, whatever brain cells that resonates in you, the brain, the mind, distinguished between those two because the mind functions through every cell in the body, the mind generates this perception. And it's interesting, there's some Harvard research that says that in a, a time frame where 10,000 brain cells fire, that is there are 10,000 measurable units of electrical activity going on within this structure, in that time frame, which is about a 25th of a second, the max amount of data that goes into building your perceptual world is nine bits. That's it. You get to see nine bits out of 10,000 brain cells firing. And it's been estimated that the actuality of the world perhaps contains as much as 20 trillion bits in that same time frame. So we're looking at a tiny, tiny fragment of what's actually happening in the world and a tiny fragment of what's going on within our minds. Now, when you get down to that, what you call this sort of a device is an evidential device. When you're only looking at nine bits of data out of 10,000 brain cells firing, you're looking at evidence. There are no facts there. There is only evidence. And there's a device or there's a, a function in the mind called a bias. And, you know, in, in electronics, if you've got a, let's say you want to, you've got a transistor and that transistor is designed to pass a certain frequency. You have to apply a voltage to it that allows that to pass. Well, it's pretty much the same here. You have to apply a, a, a willingness to have certain evidence present itself. And so that bias that is, is what's contained in literally our whole generational pattern. And as a result, the only evidence we ever get to see is evidence of our own BS. 
And of course, that's a belief system. Anybody else have a different reality for those initials? If you have a different reality for those initials, I'll invite you to notice that's your reality. It's not mine. It's a belief system. I've had people who got you know, upset with me for writing the initials BS on the board. And, and notice that they weren't upset because of my meaning, my reality, my perceptual construct for BS, belief system. They were upset and disturbed by a perceptual construct in their minds for those initials. Yeah. All upset is internal. You can't be upset unless you have an upsetting energy within yourself. And if you live in denial, they upset me, then dissociating from that upset, you will project it into your brain image of someone else, and, you know, an endless procession of people will show up being the problem in your life. But you're the only one that was there every time. And when you understand that these eyes don't see out there, but the world you see is generated from the firing of brain cells within you. Dr. Tim introduced a, uh, a video by a gentleman, and take a look on, you know, can, you can go into YouTube and, and search for Anil Seth, A-N-I-L-S-E-T-H. And he does a beautiful presentation where he informs us that the brain doesn't see light and the brain doesn't hear sounds. No such thing happens. The brain, the perceptual system, is constantly making its best guess about what's going on out there. When you realize that's how your perceptual system works, then, and you realize that perception has a quality, you've got to have a standard by which to measure the perceptions you're going to accept and the ones you aren't. There is a sign within your structure that will tell you 100% of the time when your perception is off base. And that is, is your perception fueled by either hostility or fear? Ever asked earlier, did anybody ever accuse you of doing something you've never done or saying something you've never said? You know, most everybody in an audience will raise their hand and, you know, kind of a laugh. Yeah, I sure have. Take a moment and think about any time in your life where somebody's done that kind of accusation and they were not correct. What state of mind were they in when they accused you of saying something you never said and doing something you never did, even though they swear they saw you do it? Guarantee. It's always hostility and fear. Yeah. Now, Probably that makes sense to you when you're looking at other people. But notice that you still have a tendency to trust your mind when it's doing hostility and fear. Hostility and fear are indicators that the mind is using corrupt data to build the world that you see. If you come from generations and generations and generations of hostility and fear-based perception, then it seems like that's the only thing possible is perceptions based in that. But the mind does not record reality. The mind generates reality. If your mind is generating your reality out of hostility or fear, and remember, this is reality. The perceptual output of the mind is your reality. And... What's going on in the world, this 20 trillion bit world, is actuality. 
when you can let the actuality come in and teach you. Well, what are you going to have to do to be able to do that? You're going to have to make a space for it to happen. You're going to have to collapse this projection. <clears throat> Guess what forgiveness does? Is forgiveness about letting other people off the hook because pain or trauma is moving in you? Forget it. Never forgive anybody for anything. And many people say, oh, yeah, that's right. I have to forgive myself. Never forgive yourself for anything because you can't. It's not possible. What the Greeks taught us was to let other people off the hook. They taught us pardoning in place of forgiveness and totally bastardized the idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the tool with which you collapse perceptions based in hostility and fear, and you leave a clean and open space within your mind for something based in active love to come forward. And when that happens, then what enters into and what fuels the human mind is this state of being that we are designed to function out of. And this physiological device becomes a home where love is incarnated and embodied, and it fuels absolutely everything. So the key tool that's needed, if you recognize that your life has any given arenas, you know, it might be in the arena of relationships or money or, or business or work or employers, employees, whatever arena it's in, if you find yourself, your mind producing hostility and fear, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to weaken those frequencies of hostility and fear until they can no longer take over your perceptual system. Now, each of us has an innate tendency to perceive life in a certain way. That's because we have generational patterns. Remember we talked about there's integrative energy, there's disintegrative energy. Interesting, in the Aramaic language, the word that describes disintegrative energy is sin. It's an interesting word in Aramaic. The word sin has nothing to do with some terrible, awful thing that you've done. The word sin in Aramaic is actually an archery term. When you picked up the bow and arrow and you fired at the bullseye and you missed the bullseye, the scorekeeper yelled sin. All it means is you're off the mark. That's all it means. And if I put an energy that's off the mark, some form of hostility or fear, into a cell, I begin the degradation of that cell. Now let's go back to the Aramaic way where they informed us the wages of sin is death. Now I can remember being a kid and thinking, oh, God's going to get me for my sins. That was what I was taught. You're going to be punished for your sins. And here we live on the punishment planet. How common is that belief? What if, what if we lived on a work planet where seven and a half billion people could not even conceive of punishment, let alone reach out in punishment? What if we had seven and a half people who simply functioned as love and punishment never entered their awareness in any way, shape, or form? How different would our world be? I'm offering a worldview that that's possible and that's where we want to go with this work. So when they say the wages of sin is death, all they were saying is, if you put disintegrative energy on top of disintegrative energy on top of, on top of, on top of, you're going to die. 
your structure isn't going to be able to carry that burden. Literally, mind energy becoming flesh, that chemistry that we call it, that lands inside the cell, is going to create deterioration of the cell. You get enough cells deteriorating, you get an organ system failing. You get enough organ systems failing, and you die. Life can't be supported in a system that is filled with sin. And it's got no connotation of, you know, evil, bad, wrong, nasty. It's just, what quality of energy are you engaging in? And then you remember they said, the sins of the fathers will be passed, yea, unto three and four generations. This is straight out of scripture, and guess what? It's got nothing to do with religion. It's just the way the system worked. It's interesting, I, I came across this morning some emails from a friend from several years ago, and I'd sent him some of the material on the Beatitudes and the, uh, the Kabor's manuscript, and he passed it on to a business a friend of his, business acquaintance, and I just read it this morning, and, and this fellow was Jewish, and he was putting forward some of Yeshua's ideas in Aramaic, these kinds of ideas. And <laughs> this guy, <clears throat> this executive from a company he was working with, uh, sent back, he says, what, you and you are talking about Jesus? I'm going to have to sit down and have a few shots of tequila before I read this. Because our world's been brainwashed that this is about religion. And that's just another scam to keep people separated and finding somebody else at fault and not living as their true nature. What this man said is, this is what causes you to die. And you have generations of that in there. Who told you that literally, I mean, you go back four generations, and that's 31 lives. Who told you that you have every thought, every feeling, every reality structured within your structure of the previous 30 people in your generations? Did anybody tell you that? The thoughts, the feelings, the attitudes, the perceptual constructs of mom and dad? And mom and dad's mom and dad? And their moms, did anybody tell you that? This book called Scripture is not about theology. Here's where it's about genetics. It's about physics. It's about physiology. It's about psychology. It's about how this energy system called life works. But the Greeks didn't want us to know that. You'll notice the Greeks, you know, they had these gods that raped their own mothers, murdered their own children. Pretty heavy-duty group of folks. So through that filter came this insane interpretation of something was just meant to help you to determine how to live your life. So if you've got generations of energies that are off the mark in there, you're in trouble. And of course, you think about three to four generations and where did the previous fourth, the fourth generation back get their thoughts, their feelings, their realities, but from the previous generation in the previous. And so what this work ultimately is inviting you to do. And, and I'll say that having developed this and worked with this for almost 50 years now, when people are first introduced to this, they get it on a certain level. But it isn't until people work with it for five to 10 years that they really grasp what it's about, what it really means. And what we're inviting each of you to do 
is to develop a skill unheard of in our culture. And that is the skill of being able to delve inside of your own energy system to learn to collapse projections of untoward energies, move into and literally decode what's in the cell. Literally, that mind energy comes in, lands on a receptor site, is integrated in the cell. The skill is to pull that out of the cell and throw it away. That's forgiveness. And to be able to literally develop the skill to go down to the point where you literally are sensitive enough to the energies contained within your structure that you can go back into the generational patterns and pull the neuropeptides out of the genes that create that pattern, that create this inclination that's activated in certain ways in your life. So we're inviting you to develop a set of skills. And it doesn't happen on day one or day two or day 10 or day 20. You know, I have people like, you know, oh, I got five bucks in five minutes. Tell me everything you know, Michael. No, that's not how it works. I use an example of that. And, and, and I say this by way of hopefully inspiring you to really take. I'm, I'm suggesting you do at least two worksheets a day in each assignment as they come as we go through this intensive. And, and if you do, through the period of the 14 weeks, you'll integrate it into your life as a habit and it will become yours for life. It's one of the benefits of doing this intensive this way as opposed to people coming to Heartland for 16 days and, uh, and doing it all but then taking it back to their lives and trying to integrate it into their daily lives. It's a challenge. But ultimately what we're inviting you to do is to develop the skills of being able to go into the deepest parts of your structure, access what's there and what doesn't belong to literally be able to throw it away, to remove it. And what does that look like? What are we capable of? And I, I use an example. Michael J., my son, is a computer nerd. And when he was about 15, he decided he wanted to learn about computers. And I had a student friend in Kansas City who uh, was a former NASA computer scientist. And he's someone that I'd worked with for several years. He'd, he'd done my work. And, and we, were just, we just became buds over the years. And so I called Graham and I said, hey, Michael J. wants to learn about computers. And I know you've got a computer school aside from about four computer businesses. Can Michael come and work with you? He said, sure. And, and Michael J., of course, was raised at Heartland. And thank you to Fran Tyner, because Fran was this the first two or three years that we were at Heartland. And Michael J. was, you know, I guess he was about eight or nine. And he became Fran's tail. He went everywhere Fran went. And Fran just had this ability to do anything with his hands. So Michael learned that skill from him. And so he ended up going and living at, uh, at Graham's, in Graham's home and doing kind of an exchange with him for room and board while he was going to school and studying computers. Actually, over a period of a couple of years, when, uh, when Michael J's stereo system left the house, we knew he'd gone against the city, and that was it. I tell the story because uh, there was a point where I had bought a new computer. And when I got that computer up and running, got it online, you know, this is back when you pushed the button, it went beep, 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 all these tones, and you got this crawling thing that happened. Well, it didn't, it didn't work properly. So I called the company and I don't know, I spent two, three, four, five hours on, on with technical support. They couldn't get the computer working. So I said, well, 
pack it up and send it back to us. We'll fix it. So I packed it up, sent it back to them. Two weeks later, I got the computer back. It's ostensibly fixed. I plug it in. Same problem. Exact same thing. So I got on the phone with the computer with tech support again, go through the whole routine. They can't get it working. So I don't bug Graham because he's a really busy guy. He's got three or four businesses. And so I picked up the phone. I called him and said, Graham, I apologize for bugging you, but I got a problem. Can you help me? And so I explained what had happened, and, you know, I sent the computer back, and they couldn't fix it, and, you know, what do I do? It's a brand-new computer. He says, okay, well, go to a C-prompt. At that point, I was a little bit ignorant of computers. I said, what's a C-prompt? And, uh, and I followed his directions. He said, well, put in a string of letters and hit a return. So I put in a string of letters hit a return. Read to me what it says, and I read it to him. And, and he says, okay, type in this string of characters and hit a return. Read to me what it says. So I put that in, hit a return. And I read it to him. He said, okay, your computer's fixed. What? Your computer's fixed. Oh, now, come on, Graham. I mean, I sent it back to them. We've spent hours on the phone. Michael, your computer is fixed. Guess what? My computer was fixed. Now, the company that built the system couldn't troubleshoot what Graham did literally in three minutes on the phone. That's called having brain cells for something. Are there challenges in your life? Are there hostilities and fears that you can't seem to overcome? Are there disorders and diseases that just don't seem resolvable? Well, as I said, five to ten years of engaging. And people say, well, that's a long time. I don't know if I want to. Well, what else is there to do? There is no other path to this end result than doing your work. You know, in the ancient times, they wanted an instant fix too. Well, five bucks, five minutes. What did they say to them? You can't strong the gates. The gates. You can't do it. It takes doing your work. You have this body-mind unit. There are generations and generations and generations of untoward energies in there. And you've just got to clean it up. Now, I've spent the last half century studying how to do that, how it works, what that all means. And this is my end result. It's actually the thing that inspired me to take it to the next level. My son just turned 40 was his birth and when he came into the world it was just like so awesome and delivered him or caught him with my hands and it was just so amazing and then i looked at the world at that time and it's like well if somebody doesn't do something there isn't going to be a world for this little one to grow up in and this is what i did and so i invite you to be on the team and be part of the process and key into how this process of healing works, what it really means, and the core of the forgiveness process. We're not actually going to get into doing the worksheet tonight, but we're going to get into what the core of the forgiveness process is. And from there, you can tap into and, you know, you can go to our website or, pardon me, to your, uh, your phone's app store and just type in the words Heartland, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, one word. Aramaic, A-R-A-M-A-I-C, forgiveness. And you'll be looking at the world's, as far as I know, only forgiveness app. You can do the worksheet. There are two different versions of it on that, on your phone now, once you download that. And or you can go to whyagain.org, and in the upper left-hand corner of the page, it says start here, click that button. It'll walk you through literally 50 years of what it took to understand how this process of forgiveness works. And what I'm going to explain to you right now, I didn't understand until I had worked with this for about 35 years. It took that 
to decode from the Aramaic and come to understand all of the aspects of how this comes together, the physiology, the physics, the psychology, the genetics of it, and how it all works. But suffice to say, in its shortest form at this moment, perception is the output of your mind. It's made of nine bits of data. If your perception is fueled by any form of hostility or fear, you have a problem because you are suffering from degraded perception. And your life will never go the way you want it to go while your perception is degraded. Underlying degraded perception is generations and generations and generations, pardon me, are generations of unresolved hostility and fear. The thing that drives this whole process, and, and you'll notice in your life in general, I mean, unless you're just a, a, a naturally nasty person, excuse me. If your persona is that degraded that you're a naturally nasty person, you'll notice that as long as everybody's doing what you want them to do, you're a pretty happy camper. But when someone, yourself or someone else, is not fulfilling a goal that you hold for them, that's when you go into hostility and fear, degraded perception, and untoward behavior. Why? Why? How does all that work? Well, here's what happens. Obviously, if there are 10,000 brain cells firing, and this is the most quoted piece of psychological research, and was done back in the 60s, if I remember correctly, this is the most quoted piece of research in, in psychological history. Nine bits of data, 10,000 brain cells fired. Now, there's other research that's come up since then that says, no, it's 13, it's 12, it doesn't matter. The point is, we get to see a little tiny fragment of what's really going on within us. And obviously, something has to determine which nine bits of data your mind is going to use to build your perception. Something has to make that determination. What is it? The driver for that whole process is your goals. When you load a goal in the mind through resonance, everything associated with the frequency of that goal. Remember, everything is frequency. You know, I actually don't speak words. I've never spoken a word in my life, and neither of you. We call it words, but actually, I have a little flap of skin in my throat, and I know how to blow air over it so that it creates these things that we call words. But what's really happening is this air moving out causes air molecules to move. The air molecules moving cause a little drum inside of your ear to move, and that drum moving sets up an electrical frequency, and nothing is communicated by that except frequency. No light, no sound, no nothing goes in there or here. What goes in is frequency, and then that frequency causes brain cells to fire, and now your whole history, including your whole genetic history through the last thousand generations, is set into activity through the law of resonance. Whatever that goal resonates in you is going to be the information that is recruited by that goal to produce the perception, which includes your attitudes and your behaviors. If you don't like the behavior that you're doing, you know, we hear about the alcoholic that got drunk and did crazy stuff. 
And the next morning when they wake up, they are so repentant. Oh, that's so terrible. I will never do that again. And they really mean they're never going to do it again. But guess what? Next time they get drunk, they'll do it again. Remember we talked about inhibitors earlier? What's the first thing that happens with alcohol? Excessive amounts of alcohol knock out inhibitors. And now all the generational patterns that were never allowed, that were always shut down, that were always inhibited, will come into play, and people do crazy stuff. And much as they feel sorry the next morning and swear they're never going to do it, unless they go in and clean up these generational patterns, they're going to do it the next time the circumstance warrants it. Warrants it. And so goals are the driver for this process of billions of bits of information moving in the world, billions of bits moving in us, and nine bits end up producing the world we experience, the thoughts we think, the feelings we feel, and the energy we engage in. And this process is designed to be fueled by active present love. That's the power supply that it's designed to work with. Now, does anybody have a, a device in your home, your office, your shop, your car, your business that works really well when you unplug it? No. Human perception is designed to be fueled by human life. It's designed to be fueled by active present love. If your perception is fueled by hostility or fear, then you're not even human. Just because one has a human form does not mean they are human. Remember holding the newborn? Go back and hold that newborn child. Notice when you hold the newborn what serenity, what peace, what sweetness, what the presence of love is like. Then ask yourself a question. Is the newborn loving me or is the newborn love? My offering is the newborn is the active presence of love, and so are you. If the active presence of love isn't active in your physiology, then there's no human life because it is love that is human life. Remember Yeshua said, I come to bring you life? You look at his whole body of work and the whole thing is about how do you get rid of the hostility or fear and how do you fuel your mind by the active presence of love? Now, it's a two-part process. One part of the process is the dissolution of the generational patterns that do not belong. That's called forgiveness. Forget about ever forgiving anybody ever again. And, and it, it always amazes me because I've had people who have been around my work 10, 15, 20 years, and they'll still talk about how well I forgave them. Stop. Never forgive anybody for anything. If you choose to pardon someone, you know, they did something crazy, and you go, I can let that go. I'm going to let it go. I'll pardon you. I'll let you off the hook for that. That's done. But if you call that forgiveness, you won't actually do the next level, which is go inside yourself and remove and clean up the untoward energies that never belong within a human structure. So forgiveness is about the removal of what never belonged. That's half of the process. And the other half of the process is the integration of active love into every cell. To literally create a space in this form where love 
actively shows up in physiology. Now, the short form of the forgiveness process, and again, please use the radio show, ask questions. The short form of the forgiveness process is, the word forgive in Aramaic is shebag, and it literally translates from Aramaic to cancel. Now, what is it that I cancel? Do I cancel you? Well, that's murder. Probably not going to Do I cancel myself? Well, no, that's suicide. Let's let that one go. But what in every circumstance where I have upset or disturbance going on, that means there's an untoward energy moving in my physiology. If I'm going to come out of my denial, what is it that I can cancel to change that whole process? When I cancel my goal, the perception generated as a result of that goal collapses. When it collapses, I now have a clean and open space within my mind where these underlying energies can surface. Because when I cancel a goal and collapse a perception, what happens is a pathway is open into the unconscious or the dissociated content. And what I've dissociated from, depending on my level of willingness, what I've dissociated from will start to come upward to awareness. Now, when I say awareness, it might just be awareness of the energy moving. And it might be specific memories of things that have happened. It's not necessary to go back and remember each dark, dirty, nasty thing that happened in your life. And it's not about laying on the couch and, you know, examining what happened for 30 years until you find that thing. It's about living in and as the active presence of love, making a commitment to that. And as you walk through life, the next piece of work you're ready to do, resonance will bring somebody to you that will resonate what you need to deal with. If you keep it, it hidden, then you'll only get this per surface projection and you'll think it's somebody else. When you cancel the goal, you collapse that perception. It took me 35 years to learn this piece of information. When, and, I, and I understand why the Greeks turned it into bargaining, letting other people off the hook. I understand it fully because until you've got all these pieces, you know the physics, you know the physiology, you know the high energy, until you put all those pieces together, canceling a perfectly good goal does not make any sense at all. Gee, I just want that person to cherish me. And they're raging at me. Why would I cancel my need to be cherished? Because I'm in terror? Oh, so my physiology is producing terror because I want to be cherished. Oh, so Michael, what you're saying is what, what you now understand about me is that in my file on being cherished, there's terror. Oh, okay, I see. So if I cancel my goal for them to cherish me, my projection on them collapses, and it opens a pathway into all this terror that's stored within my brain cell structure, and maybe the terror that's stored from 30 generations ago that needs to be unwound. Oh, now I'm starting to see what forgiveness is as I cancel the goal. Now, I have a 9-bit processor, so we're going to call it for the sake of whatever term we're going to use. If I've got something that's been going on in my bloodline for 25 or 200 generations, 
and I can process nine bits at a time. What chance do I have? It's impossible. I mean, it's silly to even try. Fortunately, this man, Yeshua, understood another major piece of information. And that was that at creation, there was a power put in us that in Aramaic was called Ruka de Kudsha. The Greeks translated these words as the Holy Spirit. Nothing about a disembodied spirit being in the term Ruka de Kudsha in Aramaic. In Aramaic, those terms speak of a feminine elemental force in us that undoes the effects of our errors and teaches us the truth. So when I become willing enough, I will literally, I mean, one of my best examples for, I don't know, 35 years or more. If you were in my workshop 35 years, or well, 15 years ago, these weren't the words at the top of the board. This word was suppressed. Literally, as I'm sitting and I'm making some changes to the worksheet, and the one you see on the, the website now or in the app is probably at least version 3020, I was sitting doing some work with it, and literally I'm told inside my head, Michael, it's not suppression. That's not clear enough. It's dissociation. What do you mean dissociation? It's not just that you've hidden it away. It's that it's no longer yours. It's gone. You can't change it. When you understand that denial, thinking or speaking as though something outside of you is the cause of this that's in you, then you have to, to believe that, hide the real process that's happening inside of you. This genius, Yeshua, genius. I mean, how did he come up with this? I don't know. But here's what he showed us. Cancel the goal. Collapse the perception. Perception drops in on its root. You've now got access to the hidden part of your mind. Bring it forward in the presence of love, and then there's a super processor that is available to you. In Aramaic, it was called Ruka de Kudsha. She, a feminine elemental force in us that undoes the effects of our errors and teaches us the truth. So at the point where I cancel the goal and collapse, I may open so much that I'm so overwhelmed. This is part of the whole flood idea. You know, I'm so overwhelmed. This is just so much to move. How do I do it? I connect with Ruka. What is Ruka? In the original Aramaic, they never said anything about God sending out his spirit. What it says is the creator sent out his breath. We have access to this phenomenal super processor called Ruka de Kutcha. She will, if you invite her to, undo the effects of your errors and teach you the truth. Now, if you've still got a use for one in your lives, well, I just want to keep this little bit of hostility back here so I need to protect myself. Then she's not going to touch your hostility. It's yours. Hang out with it all you need, all you want. But when you're willing to surrender, when you're ready to really let it all go, she will process you right down to your genetic toes. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.